0: Let's read it together now. Hebrews 11, verse 32 to verse 38. And this is the word of God. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and in caves of the earth. Amen. And we thank God tonight for his word. A very exciting thing for any minister, as John will tell you, is when uh, the phone goes and it's another church, and they ring to say, your name's come up, Uh, we would like you to consider our vacancy. Now you might be very happy in your own place, maybe you're all very uh, delighted where you are at that point in time, but it's nice to be wanted, it's nice to be pursued, and, and usually the phone call is followed with a lovely glossy brochure, telling you everything that's wonderful about this new church that you could go to. I always like to see those lovely glossy brochures, Last year I collected a few of them as we were preparing our own uh, up in board mills. I wanted to see what churches were doing. It had been a while since I'd got a nice glossy brochure. And what I discovered about these lovely glossy brochures, and maybe John will uh, agree with this, is that most of them want to fill your head with sweetie mice. Every church in this country is the perfect church. Every church in this country has pictures in their nice glossy shiny brochures of bright, shiny, happy people. Everybody's teeth in those pictures are white and straight, not a crooked mouth in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. And one that I found really, really lovely and appealing was one that made much of the fact that their church was now in very close proximity to a brand new Tesco's, and he wanted their potential new minister to find out about this. All we could say on board mills was look around the corner a wee bit from the garage at the temple and that was about it but it thankfully didn't stop us from filling the, the vacancy anyway but it's not often what we want the world to think about our churches they're wonderful places they're places that you're always going to be happy there's places that have got everything under the sun for your children your children might be brats ill-behaved little louts but we will love them and we will make them better And we will make sure when they're 18, they go off to be a nun or a priest. That's what we will... Sorry, wrong sermon. We will make sure they go off to be a deaconess or a Presbyterian minister. And we want to give that impression to the world. And yet often the church is despised and rejected. Often the church is a place of splits and division and hurt and sorrow. And often as Presbyterian ministers, as maybe John and I will discover in the years to come. Perhaps our ministry is called to close a church. Nobody ever wants to think about that. Sure they don't. Nobody ever wants to be like Ernie Boggs, who was the last minister in the Down Presbytery to close a fellowship down in Strangford. And Ernie being Ernie is happy to tell you that. I was the last one to close a church, he says. But as I think about my own life, 40 years old and... Maybe 30 years in front of me before I get my pension. What if I'm the last minister of Eden Grove? What if I'm the last guy that gets up into this pulpit? It's maybe coming sooner than you think if you look out tonight. What if I'm here for the next 30 years and in that time I, I see down Presbytery shrinking from 17 churches down to about four? What if the churches we're called to are places that we're called to be faithful even though we will never see a single conversion. What if we are called to places where actually for all our time it will be war and fighting and argument? Anna Snell, who left last Sunday night to go to work in Russia, that's how he would describe his nine years in Kalinchi. Trouble, arguments, splits, division. Certainly wasn't his plan. The night that he came to Kalinchi, he was applauded by the session who had interviewed him. About three weeks later, the session wanted to drag him out into the car park and send him back to South Africa. See, church is not always simple. And the Christian life is not always simple. I have a little saying that that goes, it's not always jelly and ice cream. It's a bit odd that I say that, because I despise jelly, but but you get the point. Church and the Christian life is not always happiness and joy. That shouldn't surprise us. The Lord is very, very clear when he speaks to us. A couple of years ago, I had a bit of an argument over Christmas dinner with a family member. He had decided that he had figured out Jesus, and Jesus was all about love, completely about love, and, and anything that, that took love away from Jesus, well, you were doing him in an injustice. And I had a chat with my uh, family member, and I reminded him that, yes, the Lord was about love, but... But how do we deal with a passage like Matthew 10 and verse 34 where Jesus says do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus said that. Now of course the Lord is not meaning that he's going to arm his followers and we're going to go and take Drum and S tonight with sword and shield. Of course not, but but if we just say, well no, Jesus is just about the loving stuff, well there he says, look Division will come on account of me, says Jesus. Or what about Matthew 23 and 33, where Jesus describes the Pharisees in these terms. He says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, said that. Or what about John 16 and verse 33, where he speaks to you tonight, brothers and sisters. He speaks to you personally. He speaks to me. He speaks to John Brogan with his nice shiny brochure off the beach in Glen Arm. But no Tesco's. What does Jesus say to us? In this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, says Jesus, you will have tribulation. Now, is that what you signed up for? The night that you came to trust Christ, at that mission, when you walked up to the front, when your granny offered to pray with you and she led you to the Lord, is that what you signed up for? Or did you have this notion in your head, a a sort of Americanized Christianity? And I don't mean to just pick on the Americans, but, but often you see it there, the Americanized Christianity that says, come to Christ and everything's going to be okay. Come to Christ, and you will never struggle. Come to Christ, and your children will be wonderfully well-behaved. They will marry Christians, and they will have Christian children. Some will be missionaries, some will be preachers, some will be mothers and have fine young families themselves. Come to Christ, and it's all going to be jelly and ice cream. Friends, maybe you bought into that. And therefore, tonight, in the midst of tribulation... In the midst of wondering when the jelly and ice cream is going to get served, perhaps you have found yourself wondering what this Christianity is all about. Because it's hard. It's hard. Your children are not a bit interested. And your church isn't meeting your needs. And you're struggling to share your faith down the street. You've never led anybody to Christ. You've never seen that for a single second. And currently you're battling with an illness that potentially is going to cut your life short. You didn't sign up for that, did you? You didn't sign up for tribulation and being despised and and being rejected and and being in a, a world where Jesus doesn't bring peace, but he brings division. People will despise you because they despise him. This surprises us quite often, and yet it shouldn't. As Hebrews 11 comes to a close, as we read about these final men and women we see that this has often been the reason or, or the, the state of the Christian life throughout all days. The preacher here in verse 32 says, What more shall I say? I always find in verse 32, it's an encouraging passage, because of someone who is often told he is long-winded, well, it feels here that uh, if this is a sermon as some think it is, he's kind of run out of time. What more shall I say? Time would feel me to tell of Gideon tell of Barak, the tell of Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Time has run out and I could tell you about those all night, but time's against me, but the names are mentioned. And with those names come images conjured up in our minds from our Sunday school days. And as we work our way through them, then we see that the Christian life is not always victory. See, initially you read those and you think well, there's lots of victory there. And You're right, there is. Gideon Famously and his 300 men defeat uh, the enemies of God's people. Barak delivers uh, the people from again the enemies of God's people. Samson destroys a foreign temple. Brings it all down on the enemies of God's people. Victory after victory after victory. Jelly and ice cream constantly. But then you remember about David and his adultery. And you remember about Jephthah and his rash vow and his daughter losing her life. And you remember about Samson and and what was he doing in that foreign temple anyway? Well, he was basically a a joke, a mocking figure, a, a, a laugh at a disgrace of a man. We see even in the victory of these individuals that there's weakness and there's disappointment and there's sorrow and there's tough and difficult days all the way through. Even with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, men who are referenced here about stopping the mouths of lions in verse 33 and quenching the power of fire in verse 34, we heard the other night at our Bible study that that Daniel was told that the people were going home, that they were moving back to a better place, but, but he didn't get to see it. Disappointment, sorrow, frustration. And I promise you folks that I don't want to be the last minister of Eden Grove. I don't want to retire from down Presbytery in 30-odd years, having watched it shrink constantly, and churches closing and and all the rest of it. There's no sadder moment. See, when you're sitting in the General Assembly in June, and you hear about some church somewhere, usually in Belfast, and and we're very thankful for the 115 years of witness, and we pray that a new witness can rise up. But today we're closing the doors of Crumlin Road, Or we're closing the doors of May Street. Or we're closing the doors of Nelson Memorial. I don't want to be that day. But what if that's the day and age that we are in? And what if in our lives we will know the reality of Jesus' words in John 16 and we will have tribulation? Friends, what do we do if that's the case? Well, the beauty of these men and women that are read about here in these final verses in Hebrews 11 is of course the famous statement all the way through can be applied to them they were men and women of faith men and women who yes in the midst of victory and in the midst of great disappointment and great sin were still men and women of faith and that shouldn't be seen as just some easy answer on difficult days it is the reality for Christians from the beginning to this day, we have trusted in Christ. Tonight we see what he has done. We see his body. We see his blood shed for us. We we see it here right in front of our face. And we look and we think, well, how can I keep on going? How can I keep the head up? How can I, I keep praying for my family? How can I keep evangelizing even though it seems nobody's listening. How can I do this? How can I keep on going even though the news is always bad? How can I do it? By faith. By constantly coming back to, to the place where we rest and that is Christ and his finished work. And I know that that is easier said than done. I know when it's you know, a day at a funeral somewhere, it's easier said than done. But you know when bright, shiny brochures from churches and and in how we sell the gospel. Often in the Christian world, we, we don't like to talk about those things like funerals and sicknesses and everything else. It's easier said than done to keep on going in the middle of those things. But it is by faith. It is by faith that we keep on going when we haven't had a victory in a long time. And when, like Gideon, we make stupid mistakes and fall into idolatry. And when, like Samson, we make stupid mistakes and end up having a foreign temple fall on our head. And when, like Jephthah, we make stupid mistakes and have a family, a loved one, an only child dying. When, like David, we make stupid mistakes and, and we think not with the head but with another part of our body. How do we keep going? By faith. By trusting in the finished work of Christ. By trusting not in the myth that we have sometimes made, Christianity, that it is a life that never has any struggles, but how do we keep on going? By faith. Clinging to Jesus. And you know, that's imagery that I i think we often struggle with, that clinging, that hanging on by our fingertips, that, that hanging on even by a finger, but but hanging on nevertheless to Jesus. It is, as John said this morning, that, that how do we read something like the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that states clearly from the word of the Lord that the Lord requires perfection? How do we hear such a sermon? How do we live such a life unless we're clinging on to Jesus? These men and women were not perfect. These men and women saw victory, but they also saw sinful decisions wrecking so much, they also saw days of defeat. We see that in the final couple of verses here. We, we read about the Christian life. Yes, there, there are victory. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. We think that that's the, the widow of Zarephath, the Shunammite woman being referenced there. But others in verse 35 were tortured. And they refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. I know you'll probably know the story of John Bunyan. They, they told him in prison that they would let him out only if he promised not to preach. And apparently the famous statement by Bunyan was, if you let me out today, then I will preach tomorrow. And so he stayed in prison. And many of us would state something so boldly. Yet that's the Christian life: Torture. Refusal to accept release because we don't want to sell out Christ. Mocking. Mocking. Did you see the picture this week of Donald Trump and Boris Johnston and somebody else, Rob, Dominic Rob, standing behind him, giggling and laughing? Did you see that? And the suggestion was they were mocking Donald Trump. Now, whatever you think of Mr. Trump... I don't think there's any place for that. And yet you maybe sometimes will know in your own life that you're mocked for your faith. Because after all, you Christians are on the wrong side of history. And that Bible that you proclaim, well, it's full of error and it's nonsense. And Jesus probably didn't even exist. You Christians are fools. Here in Hebrews 11, we see that these men and women of faith knew what it was to be mocked and flogged and even chains, and imprisonment. As I said not too long ago in this very pulpit, the common experience of most Christians in the world today is exactly this. It's not the lovely sugar-coated picture of the church that we give in the West. It's not that at all. It's struggle, it's tribulation, it's heartache, it's famine. A few years ago we wanted to hear a man speaking about how he had been converted uh, from Islam. And to this day, he cannot speak to his mother and father and brothers and sisters. And he loves the Lord. But when he was speaking about his family who have rejected him, who told him, you better get out because we will kill you ourselves, it still broke his heart. Because although he feels that his father despises him, he does not despise his father. He loves him and misses him and wants to share Christ with him, but he can't do it. Because to go back home would certainly mean the end of his life. That's the reality today in this world for our brothers and sisters. And I know in the West we're clinging on to this notion that, well, Britain's a Christian country. Isn't it? Isn't it Britain's a Christian country? We, we believe that. And why don't you want the United Ireland? Well, because here, it's not a Christian country down there. Nonsense nonsense, folks. If Britain was ever a Christian country, and we secret, it never was. It's long since stopped. It really has. We live in a secular part of the world where where the influence of the church once was greater than it is today, but we know that it's slipping, we know that it's drifting away, and it scares us because I think more and more we realize that we are becoming more in line with our brothers and sisters throughout this world. Stoned and Saul unto you and killed with the sword. And they go about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. What preacher ever gets up at a mission and says, come to Christ and you might be destitute, afflicted, and mistreated? I don't think I've ever preached a sermon like that one. And yet it is the reality. Christianity is not like this one-shot deal to a happy life. Now, of course, we know that coming to Christ causes us to have this unspeakable and wonderful joy in jesus of course we know that of course we know that there's nothing that compares to having our sins forgiven by christ of course we know that of course we know that we are looking forward to a better country a better city whose designer and builder is god we're longing for heaven of course we know that and we know through faith in christ we are on our way there we know that but in the meantime Instead of jelly and ice cream, it's as if your granny came up with her secret recipe: liver and lentils. Ugh. I hate liver and lentils. Look at me. I don't say no to much, but I say no to liver and lentils. Sometimes in life, it seems that all we get is liver and lentils. Folks, what do we do? Do we despair? Do we run away and hide away and hope and pray and cross our fingers that things are going to get better? I think what we do, and this isn't rocket science, but what we do is we cling to Jesus. What we do is we set him day by day front and center in our vision and our sight. We we day by day realize the preciousness, the utter preciousness of Christ. And maybe you're really good at that. Maybe that's something that you never struggle with, and you always do, but I certainly know in my life, Christ is my Savior, but today I have to do this on my own. Christ is my Savior, but today I'm not going to think about Jesus. I'm going to spend a day worrying. Christ is my Savior, but today... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just worry myself sick and I'm going to try and plan for the future as best that I can because I'm in control and I need to fix these things. And suddenly we push Christ to the fringe of our life as if he's an optional extra when as we read here, it is only by faith that these men and women keep on going under extraordinary, extraordinarily horrific circumstances. By faith, constantly. Read this chapter tonight before you climb into your jammies. By faith, by faith, by faith, all the way through, almost in every verse. By faith, by faith, by faith. And how will we stand? In days of of victory? How will we stand in days of defeat? How will we stand in days of heart-rending hurt and sorrow and, and, and bitterness? How will we stand? By faith. By trusting in the extraordinary work of Christ. Where he did not promise us that it was always going to be wonderful and easy in this world. In fact, the very opposite. In this world, says Jesus, you will have tribulation. That's what I said earlier on. But let's finish that verse. Because Jesus says to us, I have said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but in me, that you will have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, says Jesus. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And so how do we overcome? How do we have peace? How do we rest, even though it feels like everything is burning down around us? How does that happen? By resting in Christ that's faith we have received him and so now we rest in him we've received him as he has offered to us in the gospel and now we rest in him we rest in his finished work and when we are reading the sermon of the mount and we realize how far short we fall we do not despair we rest in christ and when we're going through life and, and things are awful we do not despair we rest in christ and when you close the doors I'm not promising this folks I really hope this isn't the case but when you close the doors in Eden Grove and Norman Duncan and Trevor Steele and Graham Stockdale all come and stand in the line and shake their heads and disgust at you what do we do? We rest in Christ. Life is not always going to be wonderful or jelly and ice cream but we have been given this A wonderful, once and for all sacrifice that isn't to be repeated, that cannot be surpassed, that meets our every need. And we receive it by faith. Folks, I hope you have a lovely Christmas. But if you end up getting the mother in law by the throat and you ruin it all, by faith i hope you have a wonderful christmas but if you get the phone call on christmas eve from your son and he says yeah mom i'm not going to come home this year i've met a new girl i'm going to her manda sorry might see you next year how do we respond by faith and this thursday when the dup are wiped out and naomi long's on tv with that smug no, i not get into it but you know what i mean how do we respond next Thursday when Jeremy Corbyn becomes the Prime Minister and on Friday he sails us down the river and we, John, celebrate and the rest of us are weeping over a united Ireland? How do we respond? By faith. And in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, when I'm an island in some church somewhere, I hope I'm still preaching the gospel in Presbyterian churches up and down the land, but how do we respond if all of this ceases to be by faith in victory and defeat in good days and in bad when prayers are answered when they seem to be unanswered when we are hated and despised when we are loved and adored when all of this world seems to be against us and when it seems that everybody is our friend, how do we respond? By never losing sight Of how precious Christ is. By never losing sight of how beautiful and wonderful our Savior is. By not once losing sight of what he has done for us. It is by faith that we have been saved. And in victory and in defeat, we are in faith. We are in Christ. And therefore, that is enough. Friends, tonight, rest easy. Sleep well. Things might seem bad, but we will be here for such a little time. And one day, the Lord himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. Amen. And we thank God tonight for his word.